Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 114, are you prepared for an in-flight fire? Coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm joined with some of my favorite general aviation av geeks. I'm here with Tom Wachowski. Tom, welcome. Hello, Carl. And Paul Greco. Paul, welcome. Hey, Carl. And uh, I also have the other Tom, Tom Frick. Welcome. Greetings. And Russ Roslowski. Russ, welcome. Yeah, hi, Carl. And Eric Crump. Welcome to the podcast. Last and least. Yeah, yeah last here I am. not least. <laughs> <laughs> and very, very important. Hey, we've got a whole group of folks here this evening that want to talk GA, and uh, I also want to get some feedback from you. If you could, go out to Stuck Mike Avcast and let us know what you think about uh, the new format with having a lot of different hosts on, especially our discussions with people with all these different varying levels of experience. We have a, a really uh, action-packed show, and we have so many things to talk about this evening so we're going to jump right into it let's do the pre-flight but first we have a lot of announcements so i'm going to start off with one of the most important people even though they were last in the introduction eric crump eric you have an announcement you're trying to make up for it see it's not going to work it's not going to work <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have uh, a couple of announcements um one uh, super proud of my guys and then i'm this isn't Hey, uh, this is an absolute shameless plug. Um, we had uh, our first hiring visit as part of our partnership with ExpressJet through their Airline Pilot Pathway Program, or AP3 for short. Seven of our students uh, interviewed, and seven students got conditional job offers to go work for ExpressJet. Super thrilled uh, for them, proud of them. Uh, very happy to work with a great company like ExpressJet, share a common philosophical view on um, safety and pilot training and Absolutely thrilled all around there. So that's a really good announcement. And awesome. announcement number two, uh, which is absolutely totally personal, I got to get in an airplane today. And that happens, you'd think, with as many airplanes sit outside of my window all day long that I would just fly all the time. But I actually don't get to fly that much. Um, unfortunately, uh, running my collegiate aerospace program keeps me on the ground a lot, um, and I get to watch my students fly. So it's really neat when I get to get in an airplane, even if it's uh, just that nasty business of observation, which I got to do today, which is, is still fun. Um, and uh, and just uh, it, it's just great to be back in the air and see the process happen and, and uh, watch my students learn. So very cool. Great day. That's awesome, Eric. It's, uh, it's interesting. If you don't want to fly, just manage a flight school. Or manage a flight department because you won't be flying much, will you? This is extremely true. <laughs> they they don't put that on the brochure, by the way. No, that's they didn't. Not, that's not included in the brochure. So you got to fly something pretty interesting, right? Uh, or a cool plane. Tell us a little bit more about it. Sure. I mean, it's you know just your one seventy two. But I'm telling you, when you're, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I would have I would have flown anything. Rubber band airplane would have been fine today. Um, it's really awful. You know, you just watch your students fly all the time and you think, well, you can live vicariously through them. And, and to some extent that's true. Um, but then it's sometimes it's just really nice just to get in the airplane and, and feel the airplane move through the air. And, um, it's just, it's, I don't know what to say about it, but other than that, it's fun. And, um, my student today, uh, was, um, pre-private student. Um, about halfway through the training, so checking in on him and uh, and uh, just checking in progress. So it's uh, it's nice to to watch that that process go from oh look it's a shiny airplane to I can start I'm actually flying this airplane um, and watching him complete landings without intervention is just really cool. And um, I think during observations, my my students get kind of used to me and seeing me around and having me in some of the classes. Um, at the college, and they get used to, well, like this. The, I, this is not an act on the podcast. It's actually how I am. I'm this way I'm normally. But during evaluations and observations, I'm kind of stoic. You know, I just I play the role of the, the silent seat 
and it kind of freaks him out a little bit. Um, and uh, apparently afterward, he said, man, I, I, he, I don't know. He didn't say much. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I said, well, you gotta understand an observation. The quieter I am, the better you're doing. It's, you know, when I start talking, then there's a problem. But, uh, but anyway, so it was a good day. Very good day. Yeah, it must be really weird having Eric not say something. It's, I imagine that it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, that's terrific. It's terrific to hear about uh, your students actually going through and uh, and finishing up their interview. I actually uh, got to be a small part of that process. And, I would say small and, part. And, I would say very, very large contributing part. And I don't know... Um, I don't know who's more thankful, um, you know, for your tutelage and your mentorship, them or me. But um, it, we'll, we'll just call it a tie. But we uh, we really appreciate it. You're yeah. a good, good friend and a good partner. The the, uh, the kids like having you around. Well, thanks, thanks. And for those that don't know, I do a lot of uh, interview prep uh, through my other podcast, Aviation Careers Podcast, and it helped out a little bit with them. Uh, but uh, they performed very well, and I'm very very proud of of the students here at Polk State College. So uh, my hats off to everybody uh, that was able to. Uh, get a conditional hire, uh, which is wonderful uh, with with uh, ExpressJet. Um, the other uh, announcement along with that, by the way, is the fact that um, we have the 2016 Aerospace Scholarships Guide available in PDF format. I just put it out today, and uh, you'll be able to uh, download it. For those people that don't know, it's aerospacescholarships.com. That's the other announcement I had. Uh, so if you're looking for money to get any type of ratings, uh, private pilot, instrument, etc., it's out there. It's going to be up on... Uh, and uh, was it Amazon fairly shortly. The next uh, announcement, and by the way, before I, I, I just want to interrupt, if you have an announcement or you have want, want to shout out something, please write one of us or send us a message on Twitter. You have all of our Twitter handles and how to contact us and say, hey, listen, you know, so-and-so just passed their private or their instrument or, or you know, got an award. We'd love to announce that. And we'll probably just use their first name and not their first and, and last name, but we'd love to hear from you. With that said, I think, Paul, you have actually an announcement to make yeah actually i have a very good friend uh he's been a friend for almost 20 years and uh i've actually been mentoring him uh he's he's retired from his previous career and he wants to become an airline pilot and so he's been working really really hard over the last uh really couple years he got his private in in a really short period of time 12 days and then um he flew for about a year and a half or so, and then he got his instrument this year. Earlier in uh, 2015, he got his instrument rating in a couple of weeks, and then he just a couple of days ago passed his commercial check ride. And so he's uh, super excited, and he's ready to move on to the time-building phase and uh, get his hours and qualify to uh, come on over to the airline. So and he's his first really time? His name, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that'd be important. And his name is Doug. Doug. Yeah. Well, so he's uh, super happy for him. He's, he's done a really bang up job. And uh, I've just been uh, just kind of giving him pointers along the way to, you know, steer him in the right direction. And he, he's just done great. I'm real, real happy for him. Kudos, well Doug. Well yeah. done. Well done, Doug. Awesome. Awesome to hear that, Paul. Uh, it's always neat to, to hear from people that, that get their rating. By the way, going back to something you said, did you say 12 days he got his private? Yeah, I never would have believed it if I wasn't there witnessing it. I was actually doing my commercial at this school where he was doing his private. And so I did my commercial in five days. I went I went down to this school with uh, my written done, and I was really ready to go from you know, as far as my oral um, and all, my, uh, all the requirements for the rating itself were done. So I just really needed to go down and uh, um, fly the plane and take a check ride. And that's what I did. Um, but he, uh, I mean, other than being a right seat pilot or a right seat passenger with me, um, you know, for let's say 30 or 40 or 50 hours, he, he really just had no experience in, the, in an airplane and uh, went to this school. Same way I, I kind of, I got him ready. I, I had him, um, uh, take his written before he got down there and I was prepping him for his oral and he went down there, flew six to eight hours a day, 12 days in a row. Actually he, and he even, uh, he came home in, in the middle of that 12 days. Uh, he, I think he was down there for 14 days total, but he, he came home for two days because he was adopting, um, 
a baby girl at that time. Wow. And so he had to come home because the adoption finally went through. So he had to go to court. Um, and it, and they, he didn't find this out until literally the day that we got there. So he was really, he was really panicked that he wasn't going to get it done. And, you know, I just said, look, you know, you're going to, you're going to do this. We're going to, we'll ju- you just fly home that day. You, f- you fly home for the, for the court date. And then you come back the next day and you get ba- right back into it. And, and he did. And to his credit, he, he got it done. I, this was in August in a really, really, really hot state. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I don't know how he did it. I could never have done it. I'm, there's no way I could have done what he well, did. Hats off to Doug for, for both yeah. that and also uh, doing the commercial check, right? So that's awesome, Paul. Great Absolutely. To hear. And moving on to our next announcement, I think Tom Frick had an announcement this evening. Yeah, and I wanted to give a shout out to a, a student and, you know, kind of an interesting guy. He uh, um, uh, is a uh, civilian working for a government agency and, and basically sat in the back seat on a P3 Orion Hurricane Hunter and uh, eventually took on a job with that organization uh, flying drones. And they mandated him to get his private pilot's license. Um, I ended up uh, w- with him as a student to finish him out, and uh, he uh, pra- passed his practical and achieved his private pilot's license. And the thing that was cool about this was uh, that he, uh, you know, he was mandated to get his private and wasn't really into the flying thing for quite a while. And it wasn't until um, he soloed and, and, you know, I sent him out for a ride on his own and he came back and I could see the bug had bitten him. You could just see the smile on his face and he's like, this is cool. So shout out to Mark. Congratulations again and uh, good luck. Awesome. Mark, great job and congratulations on that. And uh, these are all great announcements. We're going to move on from our announcements to Cruise Flight where we're going to discuss our main topic this evening. Now entering Cruise Flight. Our main topic this evening is actually one that uh, starts with me, and I, I, uh, I really, I came up with this, and I asked around, has anybody else had this experience? It sounds like we all have, and that's experience with in-flight smoke and fire. It's one of those things that puts the hair back up on your on your neck, and just, and you just cringe. It's one of those things I think that that scares most pilots, and and it really scared me uh, the other day. I had, uh, I was flying for work and uh, received a warning that there was smoke in the lav, in the lavatory, in the bathroom. And in receiving that warning, uh, of course, when we see fire or smoke, uh, we just really jump. I mean, a fire in an engine, eh, not so bad. You know, I can handle that in an APU, but it's inside the aircraft. So now we can't do much about it as far as fighting the fire. But we have to first determine where the fire is and then fight that fire. So uh, what we had to do is is immediately uh, call the flight attendants and ask them, hey, you know, where is this, this smoke and, and fire? And, of course, the indication also happens in the cabin. So they actually uh, get an indicator that tells them where the smoke is coming from, which lav uh, the smoke fire and or smoke detector went off in. So uh, turns out there was an individual that came out of the lab at the same time and uh, went back to their seat and we we went further into trying to determine what's happening. First of all, uh, the reason I bring this up is that this happens in a cockpit in any aircraft. If you have some indication of smoke, you know that there's the possibility of a fire or there is a fire at that time. So what you have to do first, any time you have a smoke indication, is determine where that's coming from. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, which was, in our case, the toughest thing to do because of the fact that we'd have to first get someone to admit that they were smoking in the bathroom. Now, it doesn't sound like a big deal when you're in high school, but in flight, it is a huge deal, especially on an airliner, because if we can't determine the source of our smoke or fire, then we have to immediately divert and have you know fire rescue come and meet the aircraft. Uh, and and this is you know I know this is a general aviation show, so but but just want to say this first off is if you know anybody that smokes or uses those vapor cigarettes, you can't use those on an airliner. And that's actually what happened in this case. We finally, uh, although the person didn't out and out admit the fact that they were smoking, they did uh, you know sneak a vapor cigarette on on the aircraft, which eventually is what set off the uh, the fire or excuse me the smoke alarm in the lab um, but that that's actually an interesting thing because the fact that we didn't 
see a fire, so we determined there was no fire. Then we had to determine, the next thing is, why did that fire alarm or detector go off? Could it be a faulty detector? By determining the fact that it was somebody smoking, then you're like, oh, okay, now I understand why, and now we can relax a little bit. But I will say one thing. It was really tired that night, and we're flying along, and then all of a sudden getting a, a master warning and and all these bells and whistles going off it sure did wake me up and i tell you that adrenaline rush kept me awake for a good hour hour and a half i was like all on edge after that but what i want to do is with that you know starting off and priming the pump there with that small story you know what can we learn uh from uh smoke and also what procedures do we have in place with smoke and fire and how we are we trained to deal with that in the training environment so in our case, you know, we have procedures, obviously, in the airlines that have many procedures, and we know what we need to do. We have memory idea procedures, we have checklists, et cetera, that we must follow. So now let's take this and try to use that that same process. You know, we determine where the fire is or where the smoke is. We we actually put the fire or the smoke out or, you know, whatever we need to do and then move forward. I'm kind of curious now, in, in a training environment, I'd like Eric to chime in here, is what what are we teaching our students about uh, checklists and also about training for a situation of both smoke and or fire in our aircraft? Eric? You know, I think this is one of those things we, we maybe we talk about a lot, we mention it, but I don't know that in day-to-day training that we really trained for it. I know that, you know, in the airline world and cer- certainly in my previous life, and I know uh, Tom can speak to this too, in the in the corporate world, this is this is one of those items we're going to hit over and over and over again, and we're going to train for it. We're going to prepare. Um, now we didn't train quite like the story Tom's going to tell you later. <laughs> we didn't train quite that cool, um, but I mean this is important. Um, it, it's critically important, and um, at, at least from from my, you know Eric's philosophy on training for any emergency really is uh, immediate action items. Okay, so this is something that. Um, you absolutely must get in your head. Uh, these are the things that require immediate action. You don't get the luxury of pulling out a checklist like, oh, there's smoke billing out of the panel. Let me look and see what's going on. I mean, we don't have time to pull out a checklist and flip through it leisurely to to find the information. We, we have to act immediately and we have to act correctly. Um, so on all of our checklists, much like you'd find probably, uh, Carl, actually on the checklist you use every day, um, there's a nice little box there that are in, in all the emergency sections that are immediate action items. And anything in the box must be committed to memory. One of the things that we do uh, in several of our classes, our academic courses that we teach, and then also just um, uh, if you're walking down the hall and somebody says, um, engine fire and flight you know that it, that now someone has called you out. They've challenged you. So you have to immediately ramble off, fuel selector off, throttle close, mixture idle cut off, fuel pump off, heater off, checklist complete, and then go through your power off landing checklist. So these you, just, you have to rattle it off, and you have to be prepared to do that because if you can't, you're going to get mocked. Because on the ground, it's just kind of embarrassing. But in the air, it can really make the difference between life and death in some cases. And uh, so my thing is... Um, we certainly rely on training for immediate action items, checklist memory items, and I think that's something that we really need to focus on in general aviation, especially in the training world, uh, to mirror what goes on in the 121-135 and even the professional 91 world as well. You know, Eric, I, I know when I started my training, we talked a lot about the different types of fires and the fires within the engine, especially uh, while you're starting an engine. You know, we, we've seen, uh, many of us have seen aircraft start to burn because, you know, they overprimed it or they kept pumping the throttle, et cetera, uh, and we're able to put that fire out uh, by just, you know, keeping the engine turning. So there's a lot of different procedures for different scenarios and and also where you are. If it's an in-flight fire... As opposed to a fire on the ground, you may have it being treated differently, and also you may have to, you know, do things in a different order as far as smoke and fire on the ground. You know, as they say, the you know you shouldn't rush anything in an airplane except running away from a burning aircraft, right? Uh, but it's really it's really important for us to to do the procedures quickly, like you said, immediate action items. You know, I'm wondering, Eric, in your situation. There are a certain number of immediate action items. Um, you probably have, what, a dozen or six or seven of those. This is one of those. 
Right. Um, the immediate action items, if you're flying fuel injected, a fuel-injected airplane, you've got six. If you're flying a carbureted airplane, seven. In our operation, now again, because we've got carbides to deal with. <laughs> so um, there are immediate action items associated with that too. Um, but uh, in our fuel-injected aircraft, there are six uh, immediate action uh, memory item checklists that have to be remembered. And so when you go for a stage check, um, or especially an end of course, you had better believe that you're going to get not just one, probably a couple of these different situations, and you better be able to rebel off this memory item checklist. Um, and if you can't, that's going to be an unsat on the, on the stage check. I mean, it's, it's no joke, no games. If this actually happens to you, I need to know that you can handle the emergency. And and what's interesting, especially with a fire, is the fact that um, there's some really odd situations that can happen too. Uh, a fire on the wing, and we don't yeah. really train that very often. But you know, what do you do there? Uh, and so we talk about that on the ground, like you were saying. You go through those scenarios, and and that's really important. I you know I've had actually flames coming out of the the bottom of an engine. Couldn't exactly see what it where it was, but it was uh, you know our carburetor had an issue, and uh, so. Uh, had to shut the engine down and and actually land at an airport. So now here I'm going through a, a fire procedure, even though it's you know it's it's something a little bit different. It's not it's not quite the engine fire that you would normally see because it's not actually in the engine. It's going out the exhaust. So by shutting the engine off, we've now stopped the flames. The flames were actually starting to touch the wing of the aircraft, which really gets you nervous. And that brings us to another point as far as fire, how important it is to get the aircraft on the ground, because not only is, is burning and smoke inhalation uh, something that could kill you, it also is something that uh, the, the burning can actually cause structural damage to the aircraft. So we really, this is something that's a really, you know, get on it right away and start doing doing something. Also is another thing that we should we should maybe discuss with our passengers, general aviation-wise, and I'll probably get some interesting feedback on this. Maybe we shouldn't smoke inside our aircraft. I know you can. You know, it's your airplane. Uh, but maybe it's a, a good idea to possibly not do that, uh, just to, to mitigate uh, the cause of a fire, you know, lighting a cigarette, that type of thing. Uh, burning things in an aircraft is can lead to a lot of very dangerous situations. Uh, and hopefully uh, we all know that, uh, and we try to prevent that from happening. So, Eric, that's some great feedback. I'm, I'm always glad to hear, you know, what, what you have from the from the uh, perspective of, of the university and and, uh, and from that environment as far as training is concerned. So thanks. Sure. Um, and then there is what's also interesting here, and I know, Eric, you have to duck out now, and, uh, you know, we really appreciate you you're coming this evening. Um, but we've, we also want to hear some other stories from our listeners about what their experience has been as far as smoke and fire and, uh, and how they've handled a situation. And what's interesting, too, is that, when you have a fire or a fire indication, say you have a fire indicator or a smoke uh, in your cockpit or a carbon monoxide, say, uh, detector, any kind of a detector can actually, you know, maybe it, it can fail too. Uh, you know, fire, there's fire loops in, on engines, et cetera. And I know that um, we have, you know, an example of that. I think, Paul, you had an example of that you want to give us real quickly. Yeah, real quick. I'm, I was... Um it it was actually pretty it was a it was a pretty uh it was a pretty real, real situation i was uh i was like a about a 100 hour private pilot at the time and i was flying um a cessna 172 and i had just transitioned to class delta airport and it was very early in the morning so um I, you know i was flying by my it was a solo flight flying by myself and uh long story short i I noticed uh, a bit a bit of a haze in the in the air, and you know you, you you hear about this and you read about this kind of thing, but there's there's a reaction time to a, to an emergency, and I've read anywhere from like three to four seconds is a is a pretty typical reaction time, and your brain you know needs time to sort of uh, take everything in and and say oh yeah this is a real you know th there's a fire this is an emergency and it takes time and three four seconds you know kind of feels like an eternity in an emergency but uh so i, I notice this haze and i start looking around and i'm 
you know, I look at all the, the gauges and everything looks good. And then I look down by my legs and there's smoke billowing out from underneath the, uh, the instrument panel. And it was kind of rolling uh, out and rolling up. So I definitely had a problem. And I had very fortunately had just, like I said, transitioned to class Delta airspace. Um, and I was, I literally like, you know, ripped the airplane over uh, into like a 70 degree bank. And when I rolled out wings level, I was like lined up on a five mile final for the runway. So I just told him I need to land right now. I had smoke in the cockpit and I was like number one for the field. And I just flew really fast. Um, and I turned the master switch off and I, and when I landed, I turned it back on so I could talk to the tower. That's pretty much all I did. I I didn't really have time to do anything else because I was flying like 140 knots to, you know, to the numbers practically. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was scary because, you know, at a hundred hours, you don't really have a lot of experience to fall back on. Um, and you're by, I was by myself, so I didn't have any, you know, I couldn't really bounce any any ideas off of anybody else. And, uh, and like I said, it just worked out because I was cl- I was close to an airport. But had I been a little further on my journey, uh, I would have been in an area that didn't really have a lot of airports. So then you get into some interesting questions. What do you do then? You know, if I turn off the master switch and it doesn't stop the fire, it turned out it was the landing lights where uh, the landing and taxi light had shorted out. So there was no flames. It was just smoke, but uh, it melted the plastic. So it was it was there was heat there. And so, you know, you get into an interesting question. Would you? Would I have had to made an off-airport landing with power, um, you know, if before I became overcome with smoke, let's say, and couldn't fly the airplane anymore? So, I think it was it was a for sure scary time for me. But um, so, in in your training, do you feel like you were prepared for that scenario? You know, go back to what you said there. Do you think that you were? You know, in that scenario, it sounds like you handled it right. You got the airplane on the ground. Do you think you can attribute some of that to your training or no? Yeah, I think I can contribute all of it to my training because I didn't, you know, those are things that um, I had. I had two really, really good instructors um, and they would beat that stuff into my head. And we would just be flying along. Like if we were flying from the practice area back to the airport, um, he would just throw a random you know, emergency at me. And he would say, you know, electrical fire. And I, and I would go through the steps. And if there were, if it was things that I could do, I would do it. And if it wasn't like, if he would say engine fire, I wouldn't actually shut the engine down. Right. So, okay. so, but if it was, you know, he would have me go through the steps and turn off the master switch and, you know, vent, close the cabin vents and um, say I was going to activate the fire extinguisher if there were, if I saw flames, things like that and go through the memory action item. And uh, so, yeah, you know, that was something that, uh, I, th- I can definitely, I think, attribute to, to my training. So if, if a student is looking at their instructor and saying, you know, why are you being so hard on me? Well, this is why. Well, there's a reason. This stuff happens, It right? does happen, and we, and we really care about our students, so we want them to constantly be drilled with emergency procedures. Uh, I will say one thing as far as the engine out procedures and the fire procedure. Uh, one thing I did start doing is I did those procedures within gliding distance of an airport because I had one student get a little overzealous and decided to turn the mixture off. And, you know, when it, when it got really quiet in the cockpit, I realized, uh-oh, you know, it got really hot because the fan wasn't moving. <laughs> and so, we, you know, we had to restart the engine and all. But so it's not – that might be an idea also. You know, when you go through these procedures, right. you tell them, but it's, you know, like, hey, listen, you know, we, uh, you know there are times Just when you'll pretend. make a mistake. Yeah, yeah. but you, sometimes you make a mistake there. So would – Another thing that I'm really interested in, uh, and I'd like to hear some other folks' input, did you get any training in the simulator doing these fire procedures? Because I think that's an incredible environment. That's a great environment to start doing those type of procedures. Not until the airline for me. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I luckily had a, a school that I went to. Um, I don't know if I should give a shout-out to a flight school, but it was a great school in Marstown, New Jersey. Actually, it's now in, uh, what's it called, Caldwell Airport now. And he went through a lot of this in the simulator. And we did so much simulator training. And this is going back many years ago. 
and uh, we went through a lot of different fire procedures. So I, I thought actually was, I did with that with him too. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. So, yeah, so I, we'll we'll have to yep. talk. We'll give a shout out to Century Flight Academy uh, and Richie Green. I think that's still the name of the school, Century Flight yep. Academy. It's sure been is. twenty years since I worked there, um, but just a really. I mean, and I actually thought he was kind of a tough person, the person oh, that yeah. owned the school, but uh, he was doing it because he cared. Um, just like I know, you know, Russ, you were saying, Russ Roslowski, uh, you, you actually do that often too, your students, you always have some kind of fire or some kind of emergency on every flight, right, Russ? Oh yeah. Just about every flight. I mean, usually unless I, I forget or we get busy or something, yeah, that engine fails or is a fire or some kind of other mechanical problem on uh, just about every flight. And, uh, like I talked about back in, uh, I looked back and it was episode 110. I had a student on his one of his solo training flights who had smoke in the cockpit and actually had uh, some some exhaust uh, leaks and some melting insulation in the uh, in the engine compartment that led to that. So he landed immediately, did a great job. But when he got done, it was he he just told me, "Hey, it was because we've done that so many times. It was almost a non-event." Interesting. That's good. And again, we really care about you as a student. That's why we keep doing this. Uh, I had a student get very upset with me uh, because of a procedure that I asked them to do. And and I told them to do something they shouldn't do because they were getting ready for the commercial check ride. And she actually was really upset with me. And she says, I'm not going to do that. And I said, good, you passed. You know, and she's like, what do you mean? I said, well, that's what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to refuse what I was telling you to do because what I was telling you to do was unsafe. And the point was that no matter how experienced a pilot is, and I had much more experience than that individual, if you think something is right and it's the safest route and the safest action to take, then do that. And that's really the important point there. But getting back to that, I think that's, that's a great example for us as, as far as, you know, you should go out there and just do emergency procedures over and over again because that's who you want to be ha- – you, that's where you want it done is in the cockpit. By the way, Russ, do you have you done any emergency procedures in the sim? Do you ever use the simulator for that? Yeah, I have a little bit um, from time to time. It's a great tool, to, like you had mentioned, to be able to you know, really simulate a lot of things that you just can't do accurately in the airplane. And uh, unfortunately, you you do kind of lose that that sense of urgency, I suppose, sometimes. You know, you have to really, I guess, do some good role-playing, right, in the uh, – in the simulator, make sure that the person is is accepting the hey, if you know, th- th- we're simulating real life here. You know, this is not just a, a video game on the computer. So uh, you do have to to get them in the right the right mood, the right frame of reference. But you can certainly accomplish a lot of scenarios that you really just couldn't do in the airplane. And in some simulators, you can really simulate a fire, which we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but getting back to Paul, you you also you know talking about that situation now that, that happened to you. Um, but there's also another scenario I think we're discussing when we think we have a fire and we don't. Right. Um, so I had, uh, and this is interesting because I, I, I'll, I'll explain what happened to us. This was at the airline. Um, but then I could bring up another, uh, another aspect, which kind of muddies the waters a little bit, but just to get you thinking. So we were flying along at, um, I think we were like 25,000 feet or 23,000 feet or something. And it was the summertime, so the air conditioning was on. And um, the captain and I immediately looked at each other because we both noticed an odor of something burning coming from the uh, air vents. And it wasn't an electrical smell. It was more of a like an, um, like a, like a burnt oily kind of a smell. Um, but it definitely was different. You know, um, you, you notice different, and and just at that time, the duct temperature went from zero degrees to forty degrees. So, um, we so obviously there were, had there was something happening. We didn't get any smoke, but we got that like we said like I said we had that that odor, um, and then we started then we started looking around and um, we noticed that the the cabin pressure was climbing in the flight deck, and so we realized that we we lost the uh, system that pressurizes the airplane. And so um, that we, <laughs> interestingly, we didn't have a specific checklist because we lost the entire system. We have, we have checklists for if bits and pieces of that system break, but with the, with the whole collective system breaking, we don't, we don't have a checklist for that. So we ran other checklists that we thought 
were applicable to the situation and we descended down to 10,000 feet because we were, like I said, we were slowly depressurizing, but it wasn't a fire situation. And it started out, uh, you know, immediately, you know, our heart rates are, the adrenaline's rushing, our heart rates are up because we're, we're noticing, um, an odor of a burning sense, uh, smell, but, but it wasn't that. And so you have to, you know, you have to be open to the to the fact that it's it, it might not be what it seems, and so you know that's interesting. But having said that, during training at the airline, when we when we went through fire training, they talked about a bunch of different crashes, right? Because you learn you learn best from. Uh, I mean, we all read accident reports, right? And and so um, we talked about um, a flight. I think it was Swiss Air. It was either a DC-10 or an MD-11 or something, and <clears throat> excuse me, they had uh, they crashed in the Atlantic Ocean running checklists, and uh, they that that was a situation where they got um, I think like an same thing like an odor or something burning coming from the air vents. Um, then then they close the vents, the smell went away, and then they got a little bit of uh, maybe like a light haze or smoke in the cockpit, but that was sort of like that kind of went away. And so they're running all these checklists and they're, then I think they got into a situation where they were, they said, all right, well maybe we should just go land and we'll sort it out on the ground. But then they, they were overweight or something. So they wanted to dump fuel. And so that was going to take time because they didn't want to land overweight. And what wound up happening was that this fire, there was a real fire and it, and the, the onset was sort of, um, insidious and it was it, so it was just a v- nothing very nothing screaming get me on the ground but then what happened was that fire was was building and burning and and ultimately the plane crashed because there was it, it failed because the fire burned out of control and and so they crashed and like 230 people or something died and and they had all the time in the world to land the airplane but they just didn't want to land the airplane overweight um, if I remember correctly. So, but again, it's not, you know, it's not always black and white and it was a very, what seemed like a benign issue that went away initially, but then it was coming back, but then it went away again. And so they were taking their time and they were being really thorough and running checklists. And, and it was a situation where they really should have just been on the ground. And that's kind of the takeaway point that I took from it, from my airline was if, when in doubt, just do the conservative thing and get the airplane on the ground. We'll sort it out. If there's nothing there, there's nothing there. No harm, no foul. You'll get more gas and you go off and be on your way. But I think that was my takeaway point. Um, you know, we'll run the checklist on the way to the airport. That's close by. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and we're going to get the plane on the ground because we're all going home. And I think that was kind of like the, my takeaway from it. But it was, it was, it was an eye-opening case review. So it's really important that to realize that there's not a checklist for everything, uh, and yeah. and you you just you have you're an aviator, so they can't write every scenario. You may be the first one, uh, possibly experiencing right. that scenario, and there are no checklists for certain items because they're they're inherently obvious too. There's certain situations where that that you can get into. Say you you have damage to an aircraft on takeoff, etc. You know, obviously you're going to abort that takeoff. I think the other thing too. Uh, that I like to stress is if it's if it's smoke fire, uh, you really need to to get yourself on the ground as quick as you can. Uh, it's a real pain. Uh, you know, we had a scenario where uh, somebody's laptop caught fire and in the aircraft, and it was over the ocean. So you know, that's you're a good you know 380 miles to the nearest airport uh, in that case, and they had to do all they could to to put that fire out. Uh, so you really have you have to to start working with the the situation at hand, which brings us to another point. You had mentioned it, is that there's this reaction time that happens when an emergency right. comes about. And I will say, when I had the smoke indication, it was like, you know, almost like 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000, 4, 1,000 before I actually was like, whoa, you know, because there's this overload, sensory yeah. overload, and then it kicks in, and then you sit there. And what's really interesting, when we had this situation, there's a we looked at the indication, and I I know that on the plane I fly, sometimes the message goes away. So I actually, you know, took it and wrote it down and said, this is what our problem is. 
And right. sure enough, that message went away later on. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. What, what was that message? Was it a fire in the galley or the lab or was it a fire in the cargo hold? So uh, that's also important to stop. And, and I just knew that in my, what's interesting, going back to training, I knew in my, my head that that happens with this airplane. So I saw on the indicator that what it was, it was a lavatory smoke, put it, wrote it down, and we moved forward because the indication went away when the smoke went away. So that's, a, that's another interesting scenario there is when you, you know, you, you freeze up. Some people freeze up during these, these scenarios, yeah. and, and, uh, which is quite interesting. But talking about smoke, there, there's another thing about smoke. that It's, it's a real scary scenario. Uh, some of us have uh, some experience. Maybe you're, you've done some, some work with the fire department or you've done some simulator training in other arenas. You know, some people that are flight attendants have done this. You know, we're actually – the, the, you can actually simulate smoke and fire. And I think, uh, Tom, uh, on, in your experience, you've actually had the ability to go through a training environment where uh, the simulation was, was much, much more real than in other environments where we just talk about it, haven't you? Yeah, we were really lucky to have uh, support of the senior team that we flew around in training. And one of the things that we did in my last job was uh, every two years, we put them through, for lack of a better word, it was flight attendant training, uh, you know, covering all the subjects that if you were a flight attendant, you would learn how to get out of the airplane, how to resuscitate, how to survive, basically. But one of the things we did in that was we put everybody in the airplane and we uh, rented theatrical smoke machines and we smoked the airplane up and then we said get out and it was very interesting uh for two reasons one you think when you're just sitting there and you see the things smoking up ah you know this will be easy i'll crawl along the floor like they told me and uh i'll find the emergency exit or i'll find the main exit and i'll get out uh that was interesting observation number one because that's not what really happened uh the second thing that was interesting was uh how you can't see a thing. And I cannot overemphasize that. And that becomes very, very scary. So to watch people who, uh, you know, you see in everyday war, in the everyday world and everyday business and everyday interactions undergo the stress of not being able to see and then thinking they know where the exit is and not being able to find the exit, uh, there are a lot of takeaways there. So if anybody listening ever has a chance to do that, go into a smoke simulator. Uh, it is invaluable training. And we did it every two years, ended up doing it, over, uh, I think we did it three or four times. And every time it was an eye opener and, it, and every time there were takeaways. And uh, that was a really special thing. I feel lucky to have done that. I'll tell you, one of the things that we took away from one of the first ones, and this was right when you know iPhones were getting popular and lap, everybody has a laptop now, and is these uh, batteries, right? These batteries oh, that yeah. are catching fire. And, you know, in an airplane, it's like uh, the movie Aliens with the alien blood dripping and just melting through everything. These batteries are the exact same thing. They'll melt right through the hull. So one of our early takeaways was having, uh, and Carl, I was wondering if you have these on your airplanes, those fire bags where you can dump a battery in there and the thing can burn because you can't put them out. They burn till they're out. Uh, we learned to get those. We had them literally FedExed uh, the next day and had them on the airplanes. And every plane I've flown since then has had that. It's kind of become more accepted in the corporate world. Uh, is that something you guys have? No, we have other procedures, uh, some somewhat similar. And, and uh, you know, we use Halon and those type of things. And we, we use, and, and to keep it cool, you know, we, we know how to put the fire out and also keep it cool. I don't, do you use Halon? Extinguishers in your in the uh, no. we we have that ability. However, uh, these batteries from iPhones and some of the laptops right. can't. Uh, you know, you can dump that all day and choke yourself, and uh, it's still going to burn. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, no, it's we have a procedure for it, and and it's not it's not the bags, but it's a different procedure. Yeah, and uh, and it seems to work. You know, in dousing, you know, using a lot of water because we have so much water that we can use to to actually cool yeah. it down, that type of thing. And it's really uh, no, it's actually worked, and because we've had uh, lithium ion batteries sure, fail bet. and fires, uh, so it, it really it it has worked. But I like that idea, though. I mean, I yeah. I think that, that, that's a suggestion. <laughs> yeah, we took that away. And the other thing we took away, I don't know how uh, your airplane's wired, but uh, a lot of the corporate airplanes, well, almost everyone that I've flown, has essentially a master switch for the cabin. So, you know, mm -hmm. as soon as there's smoke or fire, you just turn off all that power back there. And the statistics and the studies say that a lot of times that solves your problem. Right. 
right? So if you're in your in your 172 and you you have a, a problem in smoke, you know, turn off the master switch. I know, you know, going back to to uh, our friend Richie Green that we know at at Century Air, uh, I was there and and uh, on approach, his cockpit filled up with smoke. He turned off the uh, master switch. And boom, all the air kind of flowed out. So uh, same thing happens in our 172s, corporate aircraft. You know, planes yeah. are planes. It's uh, um, it's really important to to get rid of that source of fire and by yeah. turning and that knowing, master switch off. Knowing where those switches are because you can't see. I'm telling you, you cannot see the hand in front of your face. So that's 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 what I wanted to ask you is now you went through this scenario and it scares the heck out of me actually doing those in the simulator uh and i'll tell you why we've actually had a scenario when the simulator actually uh got stuck and uh the they turned it on and they went into crash mode where they didn't want to and uh one of the instructors fell forward they didn't have their seatbelt on and he thought he turned off the crash mode and they couldn't they had to climb out of the situation they were in they all went into the windshield and so you're sitting there, and it's like, oh my gosh, you're filling up with smoke, and and you're you're stuck in this position. Uh, so really, not only are you doing this as a simulation, but you also in the simulator when this is happening, make sure you listen to your instructor and what your instructor has to say as far as evacuating uh, from the simulator, because you can actually get yourself in a little bit of trouble in the simulator. But that whole that whole thing as far as trying to find your way out, what kind of takeaways did you have as far as the the physical part of of you're in a seat, and then you have to know where things are. Do they do they teach you like to touch things or know where things are, or how did yeah, you find um, your way out? Yeah, I mean, very basic things. Counting the seats, you know. I mean, I'm sure we all get on airliner and count the seats to more than one exit. Uh, one of the things we ended up doing was actually sticking some Velcro um, uh, in kind of on the interior near, uh, for lack of a better word, near a vent. Uh, and so we taught ourselves, and the fire department was involved, and. To you know, you run your hand along this vent as you're heading for an exit, and it, you can hit this little piece of Velcro. There's your emergency exit. So you don't necessarily have to walk all the way to the front of the plane and try and figure that out. You feel for that Velcro, boom, put your hand down. There's your emergency exit handle. Uh, so counting seats, you know, looking for physical cues like you mentioned uh, to give yourself an idea of where you are, raise your situational awareness. Uh, and in the cockpit, you know, there's a number of switches that I'm sure you, Carl, and everybody on this podcast knows where they are by feel, you know, the cabin dump, uh, things like that, so that, uh, you know, those physical triggers help you survive. So what you just said about knowing physical triggers, knowing where things are, uh, to that point, my medical examiner, he actually went down in an aircraft uh, in the water at night. And he remembers his training that he put his hand in a position where the door was so he knew where the door was and how to get out. And he said if he didn't do that, he he was so disoriented, uh, he, he would never have gotten out of the airplane. Yeah. And survive. So that's really important. So that's a great, great t- takeaway. As a matter of fact, um, you know, before we move on to our picks of the week, I kind of, I'd like everybody here to think about those kind of takeaways that we have from, from. And let's just talk about smoke and fire. You know, number one, uh, and, and I'll start with this. And anybody else has something, please chime in. Number one is uh, to know, know your immediate action items. Right? Is is know those immediate action items? Is number one. And uh, so that's that's like your memory items, you know, know those things. And uh, so, Tom, do you have any others or anybody else want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll chime in on that. Uh, I would say when in doubt, get the airplane on the ground. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with, yeah. you know, getting that airplane on the ground. And, uh, you know, if like I said earlier, if there's nothing wrong, it turns out to be unfounded. Um, you'll be on your way shortly. So, but get the airplane on the ground, make a safe landing, um, and uh, and evaluate the situation. And, and when you you know be in control of the situation, evaluate. Don't hesitate to make that that call, and don't hesitate to declare an emergency. I know I think we talked about that in, in an earlier episode, but sometimes people seem to be afraid to uh, ask for help or declare an emergency. You you declare an emergency, take charge, use your command presence. Uh, and and say I've got an emergency. I've got a fire in the flight deck. I need to get on the ground right now. Get me vectors to the nearest airport, and and get on the ground. How about how about you, Tom Wachowski? Uh, you know, 
I, I, I second that. I mean, that, I don't think there's, there, there wasn't enough emphasis when I was coming through training about getting on the ground. And I think somebody was talking about the, uh, was it Swiss air, you know, that ran the checklist as they right. flew right into the ground. So yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, another thing to think about too, uh, is briefings, right? We always brief, Hey, here's how we're going to get to the runway. We're going to take off what we're going to do in an emergency if an engine fails. But you know, what are we going to do if the airplane starts smoking up at 41,000 feet? Uh, might be something worth having a discussion about, you know, I fly with the same, you know, six or seven guys, maybe once a month we talk about this, but in different situations, Carl, I know you're always with different crews and, and some of, you know, if you're flight instructing, maybe you always have different students, but it's okay to talk about this. You know, sometimes, especially if we're new or a passenger, uh, you know, is maybe new to the airplane or a flight attendant is new to the crew and maybe they're a little bit, eh, I don't know if I should bring it up. Uh, I don't want to look like an idiot. No, 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 no. Bring it up. It's okay. And along with briefing the crew is briefing your passengers. Yeah. And because uh, that's really important too. I know I brief my passengers, you know, when I take them up in the Warrior or whatever, 172, and say, hey, listen, you know, what what can you do to help me? You can actually point out traffic. If you see something, tell me about it. You know, see something, say something. Definitely bring it up and uh, and, and do that. And also, how about products? I mean, I think, Tom, you, you talked about a product um, in our general aviation airplanes and uh, we have, you know, a lot of things that can catch fire, batteries, et cetera. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm not sure if you brought this to the podcast today, but we'll find out. How much are those bags that you talked about, the battery bags, well, do you know, or where yeah, you can find them? Yeah, they're not cheap. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. I, I, I believe uh, close to 1000 out the door. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And if you're someone that carries a whole bunch of equipment, recording equipment with you when you're flying, uh, if you're a photographer, <laughs> et cetera, then that might be worth it. Uh, depending on how much you bring with you, <laughs> but who brings a recording equipment when they're flying, Carl? <laughs> I well, gosh, I I know a lot of. As a matter of fact, I have a friend that's into <laughs> video production. And, oh right, uh, and he brings his equipment with him and tons of it, and they'll shoot videos and stuff like yeah. that. So I think, I think that's that's really really important. Well, I laugh because I know you and I have drug our stuff across the country. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> oh god, yeah. Um, but they and us too. But we try not to do those, you know, while we're flying. Right, we're not putting that stuff on while we're flying. Hopefully, <laughs> we're not recording a podcast while we're flying. Although that's an interesting idea. Now that we have Wi-Fi on airplanes, now not from the front. Obviously, I'm not condoning. I'm, I'm not saying we should record a podcast while we're flying. Flying as a passenger is what I meant to say. So there's an idea. Maybe we could do that in the, in the future. Um, and, and Russ, uh, what did you, you also had a comment about the, the fires and what something else that we might add to this takeaways. Yeah, this is something an examiner shared with me uh, years ago, and he had, I think he had lost, uh, lost someone due to an in-flight fire. He lost a friend or something like that. And, and his comment was, you know, and this is obviously airplane dependent, but you know, it doesn't have to be landing at an airport. Right. If you're in a 172 and you've got smoke and fire and everything going wrong, just put the thing down. Put the thing down on the ground. Land in a field somewhere like we practice all the time. Right. Right. <clears throat> just just get the plane down and get out. And if it turns out maybe it was nothing, well, that's fine. And I know as a flight instructor, I man, if one of my students or former students gave me a call, say, "Hey, Russ, I landed out in a field somewhere. You know, it turned out not to be anything." I say, "Hey, you're the pilot in command. You made the right decision with the." the uh you know the facts you had at the time i'll come pick you up you know and we'll talk about it so you know we'll figure out how to deal with the plane later but uh yeah don't don't be tied necessarily into getting to the nearest airport maybe the nearest airport's 20 miles away uh now obviously this is you know kind of light uh general aviation aircraft specific you know more faster heavier complex airplanes might you know might not be able to land in a field you know like the ones tom wachowski flies or something but right. but certainly uh you know if, if it's within the capabilities the airplane is it's a it's a good consideration, something to keep in mind. And the off-airport landing, I think Paul brought that up, is that, you know, hey, get it on the ground. And, and we talked about this in another episode. Just pretend like the airplane's totaled and, you know, the airplane, the insurance company will pick it up. Don't worry about that. Just move forward. You're going to land the airplane, get away, and live to see another day. That's the most important thing. Oh, yeah. Every time you take off, the insurance company bought the airplane, and you just buy it back when you land. How about that? You got it. Great. Yeah. Well, yeah, that that's was a awesome. Great way to say it. So, uh, so anyway, some of the takeaways, I, I think, you know, immediate action items, you know, get the plane on the ground. It could be on an airport or off airport. You know, ask for help. Declare an emergency. Uh, brief the crew about smoke and fire, and also brief your passengers, and also other equipment like firefighting equipment. You know what to bring. You might want to bring things on board the aircraft. Uh, and I think Paul, you have quite a bit of experience with this. What what type of things could they bring on to the aircraft to actually to douse the or put out the fire? 
Well, actually, I wanted to bring up a couple things. Yeah, I have ex- some experience with this because I used to, um, I volunteered on the fire department for eight years. So I went through the fire academy. So I, I definitely have a little bit of experience fighting fires. And um, so, but one of the things I wanted to mention, um, and this is just something to keep in the back of your head. There's something called a fire triangle. And you learn this, I th- I've learned it in the fire academy, but I also learned it in uh, some other training um, in, in my other job. And the fire triangle is essentially um, uh, something, it's a, it's a little memory aid that you can use to remember what the components of a fire are. So if you always remember this, you'll always know how to put a fire out. So there's three components to a fire. Uh, one, one side of the triangle is oxygen. The other side of the triangle is heat. And the third side of the triangle is fuel. And so fires are really, you know, it's 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 easy to remember because if you remove any side of that triangle, you'll put the fire out. So if you take the oxygen away, fire goes out. You take the source of the fire, the fuel away, the fire goes out. So what we talked about in the Cessna 172, when I had the smoke, I turned the master switch off. That's the number one item on the memory action item for that emergency. And what you're doing is it's an electrical fire. I'm removing the source of the fire, the electricity. So I turn the master switch off, the fire should stop. Now, if other, if it's been going for a while and it caught other things on fire, that's a, you know, that's a different ball game. And then you have to go back to square one again. But if you remember that fire triangle, oxygen, heat, and fuel, and if you remove any one of those three things, then you will uh, you will absolutely be able to put the fire out. So that's just something to keep in the back of your head. Um, and as far as a product goes, I think I saw something in on one of the online retailers. They have uh, something similar to what we have at the airline, um, which is uh, they call it PBE. It's it's this uh, it's this uh, hood foil hood with a with a clear plastic. Um, uh, front part where you could look out of and see and it's got a respirator built into it and it lasts for say 20 minutes or something i forget how long it lasts for but um it folds up the ones that i've seen online fold up into a uh a nice little container and you could probably throw it in your flight bag if if you're so inclined but that's really all i mean i can think of i mean every airplane has is required to have a fire extinguisher right so i would say make that you know how many people when they're flying their when they're flying their 172s around, look at the fire extinguisher to make sure that it's adequately charged. You know, you should do that. Make sure your fire extinguisher has got adequate charge and has been inspected um, and is appropriate to be uh, to be able to be used. So that's something else. Maybe you that's can a great, great point. Uh, you know, that's flight. every part of our pre-flight at the airlines, we're looking at the fire extinguisher and right. making sure exactly. we have enough in there. Uh, and we should do that also in our general aviation. I do that, you know, I'm flying the 172. I look real quick. Um, also, you talked about the PBE, well, the personal breathing equipment. Right. We'll, talk, we'll put a link to that because there's some really cool stuff that you can bring with you in the cockpit. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's – or in and, and fire extinguishers in general, you know, make sure you maybe want to bring something else if you, you are carrying something that, that could possibly combust, uh, carry an extra one, that type of thing. Hopefully you're not doing that too often. Uh, but again, you can bring something along. Well, gosh, you know what, uh, Paul, you brought a lot to this as far as the fire and the fire triangle. There's actually some links on uh, on the internet, and we'll send a, a link to that. But God, you know, I knew this was going to be a great conversation, and there's some great takeaways. We'll put that list of takeaways in the show notes. So make sure you go to the Stuck Mike Avcast and check out the show notes there. Um, but we have also need to move on to our picks of the week. This has been a great discussion about fire, but we have some really cool picks of the week before we uh, wrap this up. Our picks of the week. So let's go on to our picks of the week. Russ Roslowski, you have a very interesting pick of the week. Okay, yeah, thanks, Carl. Uh, my pick of the week for this week is the FAA's Instrument Flight Procedures Information Gateway. Uh, it's, it's not that well-known of a site, but it is within the FAA.gov uh, webpage, and we'll have a link to it on the, uh, the show notes. But basically what it is is you, you go to this, this, uh, this site, and you can search for an airport identifier, and this is tied into the instrument flight procedures development uh, teams there at the FAA. So you can not only get the current charts, of course, which you can do lots of places, but you can also go through what are some upcoming uh, changes. Are we, you know, is this airport maybe scheduled to have a new GPS procedure, you know, next year, or you know, 
three years from now, that kind of thing. It, it goes out a little bit in the future on uh, on the production plan side. You know what's coming up, and once you get closer to the publication date, it also has this uh, instrument flight procedures coordination tab too, which not only tells you that there's going to be an amended ILS procedure, but you can go in and look at those documents and see exactly what the changes are. It might be a brand new procedure. It might be they just changed a fixed name for some reason or raised a minimum 20 feet or completely amended the procedure. But you can get, it's almost like getting advanced knowledge on, on new procedures or change procedures because the coordination tab is populated at least a couple months before the procedure is actually published. In addition, um, on the on the right side of the screen next to each procedure, if if you go to it, you'll see that you can email the FA directly with any comments uh, about the new procedure or anything you want to say, and they they read these and uh, and potentially make changes to procedures based on that. That's why it's a coordination tab. You can also, if you want to, create an account on the website, then you can have it notify you anytime there are new or amended procedures in your state or your airport or any. A lot of different search terms like that. So it's a pretty neat site if you're interested in what's uh, coming to instrument approaches and departures uh, at airports near you. Cool. That's really interesting. I, um, you know, that that sounds like a total instrument procedures geek, and I am one, so I want to go check that one out. So thanks, Russ. I appreciate that one. You bet. Um, how The next person up for our pick of the week is actually going to be Tom Frick. Tom Frick, uh, what is your pick of the week? Um, I've made my pick of the week is uh, is uh, Garmin Pilot, and um, you know I picked that because I, I um, eh, I'm not a I'm not an Apple hater, but I, I I definitely like the Android devices better, and um, you know for in the cockpit and and for what I've been using, um, uh, Garmin Pilot works great on the uh, on an Android device, and uh, they've recently had some upgrades. Um, you know the the uh, terrain uh, feature that they have in it now is actually pretty cool. Um, Shows you um, some pretty neat stuff uh, on your map as you're flying along, and uh, overall, it's a it's a pretty robust little program. So that's my pick of the week is Garmin Pilot. Cool, Garmin Pilot. So we'll have that link there uh, in the show notes. Uh, Paul, Paul Greco, what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is uh, a book. I'm a book geek. I love books, um, especially airplane books. And the book that I wanted to uh, bring up for everybody to to uh, read is called Everything Explained for the Professional Pilot by Richie Langell. Uh and I guess we can include a link I'll, I'll uh, forward that over to you uh, shortly but it's this book has got an unbelievable amount of information and the thing that I like about it is that um, it removes all the fluff and uh, all the legal jargon when, you, when you're talking about regulations and things like that and it only gives you the stuff that you need to know and there's a lot of stuff in it. So it's really, it's a great book. It's got everything in here from Part 91 regulations to instrument uh, procedures to uh, holding speeds and uh, navigation, uh, weather, um, stuff about your uh, medical and, and logbooks. I'm just thumbing through the, uh, the chapters here. And uh, it's got emergency legal stuff, which is always good to know. Medical, hypoxia, carbon monoxide. It's got. It's just got a ton of information. It's a, it's a great book. And then it goes a little bit into um, uh, like rules of thumb and things like that that help you along the way. So I, I really I really like it. I still look through it every now and again. Um, I probably should look through it more as I'm looking through it now. There's a lot of stuff in here I could I could use going over. So uh, it's a great book, and uh, and I really like it. So everything explained for the professional pilot. <laughs> cool, awesome. Well, I appreciate that, uh, Paul. The uh, the other pick of the week that actually I had, and it was uh, I just got a new iPad, and it's an iPad Air two, and I was looking for something aviation related that I could put on my iPad. Well, what do a lot of people use on iPads for flight planning? For flight. Forflight. Forflight I am rediscovering again, and I just downloaded it, so I can't say a lot about it, but I will say this. Forflight is a really cool system that I've used in the past that was incredible, very robust, and I can't talk a lot about it right now because I haven't used it a lot, but it looks, from the looks of it, from not using it for two years now, 
uh, I was using another product that it is it looks really really awesome. And I'm sure there's there's some people here that actually do use Forflight, um, but definitely uh, check out Forflight. I think it's uh, I'm going to be very pleased with it now that I'm using it again. Have to go back to those government charts though again, so that's uh, that's okay. It's uh, it's exciting to to go back to those again. Uh, Tom Wachowski, you actually have an interesting pick of the week. Yeah, I have a pick. It's something I use. Uh, to get a quick idea of what's happening with surface weather, uh, particularly wind, it's a website, and it's uh, it's it's very odd. It's hint.fm forward slash wind, and it shows you uh, the whole country, and you can zoom in and just get a real good idea of what's going on on the surface with wind. So I can look at there and say, hey, you know that system that's moving in uh, from the west? Eh, it's going to take a long time. I don't need to go look up all these forecasts, everything right away within a few seconds, get a quick idea of what I might be dealing with tomorrow or the next day. Awesome. So we'll have that uh, a link for that too. And by the way, we'll have links for all these items that we talk about. Uh, another pick of the week that I wanted to add real quickly is, uh, you know, if you want to hear about restaurants and things like that, there was a, a really cool restaurant uh, went to at Lincoln Park. So uh, I'm going to put that as a second pick of the week. Uh, actually, Paul Greco and I went there, and it's uh, it's called the oh gosh, it's called the Sunset Grill. Is that right, Paul? Sunset is no. it Grill or Tavern. Oh, boy. Sunset Tavern. I I think you're right. It's Sunset Tavern. It's at Lincoln Park Airport. Either way. (laughs) So go check it out. I will have a link to the proper name and the proper uh, airport. Uh, So I have two picks of the week. I know I'm kind of hogging picks of the week, but uh, that is a really cool place. It's been there for a very long time. Uh, It's really neat to sit there and watch airplanes take off and land, uh, which is actually something that we're going to bring up in another episode as far as uh, our favorite places to eat. I'd like to see more of that uh, in the episodes plus uh it's it's another uh, another really interesting thing is that we have all these picks of the week on our website if you ever uh, remember us talking about something we have over 100 picks of the week that are on the website just pick on the uh, click on the picks of the week tab that's at the top some really really cool stuff out there the after landing checklist uh, so, gosh, you know, I w- we have so many more conversations uh, moving forward. Uh, just to give you, a, uh, you know, a teaser for an upcoming episodes, uh, we're going to talk, and uh, Russ Roslowski is going to, and I are going to have a discussion about holding patterns in lieu of procedure turns and uh, certain things that you have to keep in mind. We've been getting a lot of questions about that from our listeners, so we're going to go back to a little bit of instrument flying, which I know Russ loves to talk about, and we all love to talk about. You bet. And, and uh, you know, when can you start descending? And and as we may and we'll probably no actually we are we'll go into a whole discussion about procedure turns and and descending and uh, there's actually one that we're going to talk about that's part of a an interview actually it's an interview for an airline so so stay tuned for that one we're going to talk a little bit about holding patterns in in uh, and uh, in lieu of a procedure turn plus the other thing too we're going to discuss getting back into aviation again after a hiatus i know we talked about this on another episode uh, but we have uh, somebody from linkedin got in touch with us and asked if we could talk a little bit about getting back into aviation uh, by listening to our podcast they've they've really become interested again uh, but they want to see what facilities are out there and and what's what they can do uh, to get back in aviation there's a lot of really cool stuff out there hint hint Go to the AOPA website. There's some something really cool out there. We're going to try to have some of those folks from AOPA actually on. Well, guys, this was this was really awesome uh, talking about in-flight fire and smoke. I hope you've learned something from this. The takeaways we discussed, I have a list of those at thestuckmikeavcast.com. Remember that uh, we do this for your education, but also for your entertainment. If there's something that you want us to talk about, write into us. I hope you've learned something. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we love bringing this to you. And uh, please, fly safe, and we'll talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.